As we begin our teaching time this morning, we're going to read together. This is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Would you read this aloud with me? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to see you all here today. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Um, we are in a series called Pray First, and we get that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we're bouncing out of. And Paul says in that text, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And there it is. Pray continually, pray first. In everything that we do, we want to invite God into what we are doing. Uh, and in this way, we will give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so, every week we've been repeating, let's let prayer be our first response, not our last resort. And so, uh, let's do that today. As we start off our sermon time, let's pray first. Would you join me in prayer? Father, before we check email, God, before we sit down to eat, before we have that appointment, before we make that purchase, before we start the class, before the game, before the project, before we sing the anthem, before the email, before the tweet, before the post, before we turn the key, before bed, Lord, would you teach us to pray, and would you teach us to pray first? And everybody said, amen. I've been reading a book um, during this prayer series called A Year of Living Prayerfully, a guy named Jared Brock chronicles his trips literally uh, that he took around the world to try to understand prayer. And one of the chapters he talks about going to Jerusalem and to specifically uh, the Western Wall. Now, if you know anything about Jerusalem and the Western Wall, the Western Wall is a big deal when it comes to prayer. Jews from all over the world will descend on Jerusalem and they will come just to pray at this giant rock wall that is all that is left of the temple that would have been there in Jesus' day, um, and all that's left is the western part of the foundation. It's a wall that's 62 feet high. It's 187 feet long. And Jared was with his group, and they were, they were about to go to the western wall that day, and they were told that once they got there, they would, they would need to pr approach the wall with reverence, that they would always need to have their head covered uh, in front of the wall, that they were never to turn their backs to the wall, that they were always to back away from the wall after they had spent time in praying. And so, they're expecting this really reverent atmosphere where everybody's… and when they arrived, they found anything but that. I mean, there were absolutely people praying, but there were just as many people uh, chatting and in groups laughing. There were some bar, mitf bar mitzvahs going on. Uh, the people were texting. There was even one guy over uh, not too far from the wall who had laid out on his suit jacket and was taking a nap. His hat was over his head. And, and so, um, there was one man, though, that stood out to Jared, and he was at the wall. He was leaning over a, a little pulpit that he had. His head and his hand were resting on the wall, and he was praying fervently. 
uh, his prayers began to get louder and louder, and Jared decided to move in for a closer look. And, and by the time he got there, this man's prayers were at a fever pitch. Uh, and it was then that Jared realized that this guy wasn't praying at all. He was screaming at someone on his cell phone. That's a picture. There's apparently an old prayer tradition in the Western Wall uh, where people will write prayers that are meaningful to them, and then they will stuff little pieces of paper with a prayer written on it into a crack in the Western Wall. And every few days, uh, the caretakers of the Western Wall will go and they will pull all of those little pieces of paper and they will insert them, they will put them into the next coffin that is scheduled to be buried at the Mount of Olives Cemetery. And the thought is behind this little tradition that in this way your prayer becomes eternal. Uh, the, tr- the tradition has become somewhat of a bucket list kind of thing to do. Even the Pope has put a little uh, piece of paper with a prayer into the wall. And so Jared wanted to do this, and he writes about this. That he he write, wrote this meaningful prayer on a little piece of paper, and he stuck it into the wall. And as he, as he prayed, he was, he was being very intentional about this. He stepped back and uh, wanted to take a few moments in silence and reflection. It was just then that uh, 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 an excited Hasidic Jew uh, shoved a camera, uh, a phone, into Jared's hand and said, here, I need a picture. Take a picture of me. He demanded. So, Jared was like, oh, okay. And so, he starts taking a picture as this, uh, this Jewish man uh, begins to go to the wall and raise his hands in prayer, and Jared is taking pictures, and uh, he comes and looks at it and says, no, 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 it, it needs, to be, needs to be horizontal, not vertical, and then he took, took some more. He comes back, no, 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 we need some with a flash, with a flash, and then he drug Jared by the arm up right to the wall. He said, I need some close-ups. I want you to get some close-ups, and so he put his hand on the wall, and he, and he raised his head to heaven. He closed his eyes, and he said, are you getting it? Are you getting it? And Jared, Jared realized this is all for show. He writes about that. He says this, many people visit Jerusalem in search of answers. It appeared that the rabbi was only in search of snapshots. Rather than praying, he was posing. And it reminded me of how much further I still had to go because like the rabbi, I'm prone to practice the right poses without pursuing the relationship that should accompany them. That's a good place for us to start today with this question, how do we make sure that we're not just posers, but we are really prayers? Jesus had some pretty sharp words about posers. When He was teaching His disciples to pray, He said this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, another word for poser, okay? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. And what happens after that is the Lord's Prayer that we can use as an outline for prayer in all of our prayers. And the, the, the important note here is that before Jesus gets to the Lord's Prayer, He spends time instructing His disciples about what real prayer is and what real prayer is not. If we look at verse 7 specifically in the New Century Version, it's interesting. He says, and when you pray, don't, like, don't be like the people who don't know God. They continue saying things that mean nothing, thinking that God will hear them because of their many words. Uh, that phrase, uh, they will continue saying things that mean nothing. In some versions, it's empty phrases. In another version, it's vain repetitions. In another version, if you're reading from the NIV, it's babbling. Don't continue in your babbling thinking God will, will hear you. And, and this word, no matter how it's translated, it means to prattle on and on and on like the person in your life that you just can't get to stop talking. That's what's going on. And Jesus in this text is pointing to pagans, to people who don't know God. Just because you don't know God doesn't mean that you don't pray. Maybe you're at the track. Maybe some guy's at the track and he says, come on, bridled in blue. I don't know what the name of horses are. I just made that up. But that's a prayer, right? Maybe, maybe there's a lady at the casino. She's rolling dice and she's saying, come on, lucky seven. Those are prayers. They're prayers of people who don't know God. They're no different than the ancient prayers that would have been prayed of pagans that Jesus was talking about, except they would have prayed to whoever was listening, whatever God might show up. It, if it helped, I'm going to pray to it. And logically, the more gods that I can include, uh, the more chance I have of my prayer being answered. And Jesus said, that kind of babbling with empty phrases, that's not prayer. Prayer is a, isn't about a lot of words. Real prayer is about something else. And there's, there's a word that's going to tip us off about what real prayer is like. Um, he says, you'll, you'll notice it, uh, say it with me when we come to it, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your… knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father. The Aramaic, uh, which is the language that Jesus spoke, uh, the Aramaic word that He would have used here is the word Abba. Uh, we talked about it just a few weeks ago, briefly. It's not really only a 70s group that sang Dancing Queen. It is an Aramaic word that literally means daddy or papa. And it was, very, it was a term of closeness and intimacy. Uh, and if we put a further microscope on that word, we, we find out that Abba is also the word for a child's first babbling. We could put it that way. Abba would have been the equivalent of uh, some of our kids in the, in the crowd right now. They're, they're just learning to, and that all they're doing is squealing, right? <laughs> uh, but, but soon it will be dada. It will be, actually, it'll be grandpa, I think. Yeah, that's, that's what's, that's what's going to happen there. Uh, but all communication starts off that way as babbling. Uh, you probably don't remember it, but it's true nonetheless. Every, every one of us learned how to talk and communicate because we simply began to mimic and repeat the words 
that were presented to us. Um, we learned from those around us who could already talk. And so, those first efforts on our parts amounted to only empty phrases, vain repetitions, squeals, uh, prattling, right? But because you had mom and dad or other special people around you who kept showing you how to shape your mouth and form your words, that babble soon turned into something meaningful. It turned into a relationship. And so, what Jesus is pointing to here is two types of babbling, one that's not prayer and one that absolutely is. One type of babbling just throws words into the air, hoping that something or somebody will notice them. The other type of babbling is a child repeating the words, maybe that he or she doesn't even yet know, words that were first spoken by a loving father, and that child is just babbling back to dad. And that first babbling leads nowhere, but the second babbling will eventually lead to a conversation that will create a relationship that will last forever. It will create a closeness that will never, ever end. And that's the idea that will create a big foundation for everything that is practical for us today. Pete Gregg will tell you that he wasn't trying to start a prayer movement he, get, he just got hungry for God, and so he got a group of people together, and they founded the 24-7 prayer group. It began in 1999. He had this group of people, and they got together on a September day, and he said that that was the day God sneezed because something went viral. 24-7 prayer since then has formed into groups that they call boiler rooms, and there are boiler room groups in 100 different countries. They are nonstop prayer groups 24-7 that meet in war zones, they meet in slums, they meet in cathedrals, they even meet in a brewery in Missouri. And when when he was asked to define prayer, Pete says, it's a living conversation but it's more than just talking. He says this, prayer is a conscious responsiveness to God's presence. And he talks about prayer not just being one thing. We, we, we think prayer just looks one way. It's just one way. That's, that's how prayer is. But he says that's kind of like going to a buffet line and only getting one thing. If you do that long enough, uh, you'll get sick. You, you need a variety of food to stay healthy. And so, he says to see prayer as a menu, not a dish. And then he also uh, includes this thought that I have to share with you. He says, we spend so much time asking God for things. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what am I going to pray about when there's no more pain, when there's no more sin, when there's no more suffering, when there's nothing left to ask God for? What will I pray about? Oh, that should mess us up a little. See, that was the way it was with Adam and Eve. They were created. Everything's there. They don't need to ask God for anything. Everything is at their their disposal. And yet they walked and talked with God. Prayer wasn't created as a way to tell God our problems. He already knows them. We were created just to be with our Father, to be with Dad. That's a great picture for how prayer should be. Um, Let's imagine that there's a dad who has a son, 
And every day, this son comes home from school, and he flops into the couch that is in his dad's study. And his dad is always there, working away behind his desk. When the son comes in, he just flops down on the couch. He never really wants to talk. He just hangs out in dad's presence. And after a while, of course, they, they do talk, but, but the dad just loves it, that the son just wants to be with him every day. And absolutely, he's like any kid. At some point, he's going to ask for the car keys. At some point, he's, he's going to ask for some food or some money for that thing that all the other kids are doing. But that's not the primary reason that he spends time with his dad. Most of us start the prayer journey out by asking God for the car keys, by asking Him for money for them all. But the real kind of prayer that Jesus is describing for us is the kind that comes when we just decide that we want to hang out with that. And so, because of that, prayer looks a certain way. First, prayer looks like a conversation with your good father. Eugene Peterson said that prayer is always answering speech. Uh, it's, it never is initiated with us. We are never primary. It's always God that is primary. He gives us the words, and then we spit them back to Him. Communication is a learned thing, and it's no different when we try to communicate with the God who created us all. So, when it comes to God, we are the baby, and we have no chance to know what we're supposed to say unless we first hear it from God. And that leads us to number two. Real prayer looks like babbling God's words back to Him. That's kind of a crazy way to say it, but if there is a secret to prayer, it's absolutely this. This is the secret weapon that has been under your nose all along, and if you begin to use it, prayer becomes real prayer. Posing becomes an impossibility. And so, here's the secret. We hear God's side of the conversation in the words that He's already spoken to us in Scripture. That's it. Scripture becomes the language of God. Scripture is the way that God speaks to you. And so, if you want to have a conversation with God, then you have to go to Scripture. You have to learn to pray Scripture. And I believe more than anything that this will revolutionize your prayer and your relationship with God. Because when you begin to learn God's language, then you begin to learn what He thinks and what He loves and what He hates and what He wants and how He wants to do it. And sooner or later, you're going to find yourself saying, oh, me too. And that's how relationships are formed, especially relationships between child and father. That's how they grow. That's how they deepen. And so, Let's just put some how-tos uh, on this idea of praying Scripture. How do I do that? Number one, really easy, pick a text. If we need Scripture to pray, then we need to pick a Scripture. So, just pick a text. It could be uh, the Ten Commandments. It could be something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It could be a psalm. It could be a proverb. Just pick a text. Anyone will work. Number two, recite it. Uh, or read it aloud to yourself. Uh, this is not necessarily Bible study, although that wouldn't be a bad thing, but it's taking the words of Scripture, it's just pondering them in such a way that your thoughts and your feelings flow towards God, okay? Number three, ask. You're going to ask questions, and we're going to ask four questions specifically. Number one, what is the instruction 
in this text that we just, we just read, uh, all Scripture is intended to teach us. And so, we need to pull out what the instruction of the text is. What is the text teaching us to do? Number two, what can I be thankful for? Can I turn that instruction that the text is giving me into thanksgiving? Number three, what do I need to confess? Is this text showing, uh, is it uh, showing a gap in me? Is it proving that I need some, I, I still need some work, right? And so, what is it that I need to confess because of what the text says? Here's number four. What can I then say to God? What conversation can I have with God with the text at the heart of that conversation? So, in every Scripture you read, there's something to learn. There's something to thank God for or praise God for. There is something to correct in yourself, and there is something to talk to God about. Now, that is just one way of praying Scripture, but it's a brilliant way, and it will absolutely transform your prayers. And to prove it to you, uh, we're going to go through an example here, and I, I need some audience participation, so uh, somebody, some people be bold out there, and uh, let's, let's walk through this. I'm going to pick the Scripture, and I'm just going to go to Romans chapter 13, verse 8. It's a one-sentence uh, text, uh, but it's loaded with a bunch of stuff. It says this, "'Owe no one anything.'" except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Okay, so there's our text. We've recited it, we've read it, pondered it, okay? Uh, let's ask our questions. Number one, what is the instruction in the text? Somebody be bold. Give me, just throw it out. What do you think? I heard two or three at once, but I'm going to go with you're saying to love each other. Anybody? Is that what you're saying? Okay. There's one, there's one instruction in the text. Let's, let's do that. What else? Don't owe anyone anything. Okay. So, there's a couple instructions already. Uh, the best life is lived where we're free and clear of any debt. Now, uh, probably your, your mind will first go to financial debt. Uh, and, of course, that's probably included in there. But aren't there emotional debts that we have to people when we don't extend forgiveness? Are there not uh, social debts that we owe to people in the way of kindness? And so, maybe the instruction part of it is to figure out where your debt lies in, in re regard to other people and get out of that, okay? But, but Paul adds another thought, and he says, owe no one anything except, and what is it? Love. Love each other. That's the instruction. Uh, the kind of debt uh, that a Christian should always have, there is one, and it is to love others. We never get out of that debt as long as we are following Jesus. Maybe I don't owe you forgiveness because I've extended it. Maybe I don't owe you kindness because I have been kind, uh, but I will always owe you love if I'm trying to follow Jesus. I will always owe other people my love. And here's another one, the very last line, when I love rightly, I have lived rightly. What does it say? If you love one another, if you love rightly, you have fulfilled the law. Okay, awesome. So, those are the instructions of the text. Now, number two, what can we be thankful for 
because of those instructions. Any thoughts? Throw them out. Okay, Jesus died for our sins. That's always something that will probably apply no matter what Scripture that we are looking at. Right, Sarah? Okay. What else? It is possible to fulfill the law. Oh, hang on to that. Okay. And we're thankful for that, right? Yeah. What else to be thankful for? How about, thank you, God, because of the way that you've called me to live puts me in a place where I'm not in debt to anybody. Thank you for that, God. Thank you that owing people the right thing, which is love, puts me in the right place with you, and I can count on that. I can count on the fact that when I love others, you are pleased. Thank you. Here's question number three. Confess. What should we confess here? Not loving. Yeah, it's pretty obvious, right? There are times that we go through life and we just don't love the way we're supposed to love. Maybe it was on the way to church today and you got stuck behind that person going 15 miles under the speed limit and you didn't love to the best of your capability, right? Uh, So, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me when I don't love the way I should love. Here's another thought there. God, I have all these people in my life that I, I really do feel like I owe love to, and, and that, that's all good and well, but I have another group of people in my life that if I'm being really honest, I don't feel like I owe them love at all because they don't believe what I believe. They've hurt me at times. They don't live like I live. They look different than me, and it is easy for me to convince myself that I do not owe them love, but I do. So, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for that. Then finally, how do we dialogue with God? How do we have a conversation with, with Dad? We, we pray, and, and often this final step will involve asking God for something with the text at the heart of that ask, uh, petitioning Him for His help uh, to do what the text is instructing us to do. And so, here it might look like something uh, like this, God, I pray that today that you would help me to see every person I meet as a person that I owe love to. Uh, If I'm going to change my heart in that way, then I need your help. Please help me to see people differently so that I can love them well. And when it gets hard for me to love, Lord, and this is where we need to do a little bunny trail because if we spend just a a minute or two in meditation on this verse, here's what we'll decide. We'll decide that I don't know that anybody's loved the way that this verse is calling us to love. Can anybody love like this? Can anybody love completely all the time in such a way as they fulfill the law? I don't think anybody can do that. Oh, wait a minute. There's, there is one person. There's one person who saddled himself with so much debt of love that he went to a cross for people who didn't deserve his love. And in paying that debt of love, Christ secured for us the position of someone who has loved perfectly and fulfilled all of the law. So, God, when it gets hard to love, Lord, help me see Jesus on his cross. Help me see him paying the debt of love in nailed hands 
and feet. And that has to help me to love because no matter how much of a debt I have of love to somebody else, it won't be that much debt. It'll never involve probably nails in my hands or feet. If Jesus loved with nails, then surely I can love with my kindness, with my forgiveness, with myself, with my stuff, with whatever you ask of me. So, Lord, help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, my goodness, that's a prayer. What did we just do? Where'd that come from? Did we manufacture any of that? No. God spoke. We babbled it back. That's all we did. And do you see how simple and yet profound that is? It will change your relationship with your Father. Right now, if you do a Google search and if you do the right one, you'll find an amazingly cynical meme about prayer. Uh, it's on the screen, and you're not going to be able to read it, but uh, you might not be able to see it. By the way, we're, we're working on our screens. We're going to have new screens soon, and Joel has done a great job in trying to get that together. Uh, so, it's, it's going to be easier to see soon. Just hang with us. But this is a guy in prayer, and it's made into one of those successory kind of poster forms. And it just says prayer at the bottom, and then you can't read the, uh, the tagline, but the tagline says this, how to do nothing and still think you're helping. Now, that's an incredibly jaded position. And the person behind the meme is kind of missing the point of prayer. They're seeing prayer as people who are posers and not real prayers. If, if we would take just a minute and consider that whole idea, that whole uh, concept from other angles, then it's easy to see how bankrupt the logic is. It, it, for instance, if you ate lunch with the President of the United States every day, it wouldn't take long before you'd become more political. Likewise, if you played golf with Warren Buffett every morning, it wouldn't take long before you'd probably get better at handling your money. If you hung out with Steven Spielberg every afternoon, then after a while, at the very least, you would want to watch more movies. And so, what would happen if you hung out with Jesus every single day? Not necessarily doing anything, just being with Him. The misinformed premise behind the meme is that prayer is about doing something. That's not it. Prayer isn't primarily about doing anything. It's about becoming someone who then does something. Imagine the meme was about a different subject, and it makes a little more sense how crazy this logic is. Maybe the meme was about your spouse, and the tagline is, talking with your spouse a way of doing nothing that feels like you're accomplishing something. Well, that's, that's just called being married. That's what that's called. Maybe it's your kids. Playing with your kids, a way of doing nothing that feels like accomplishing something. That's called parenting. And spending time with God in prayer, that's called following Jesus. Prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer works. Prayer changes us. Why? Because prayer is built on a relationship, and that's what relationships do. The difference between words that are flung out into the air and lost in desperation and words that are spoken and heard and received with interest and joy, the difference is a relationship. 
difference between posing and praying is a relationship. And the most important thing that you will ever do in your life is to connect with God relationally. That's why we are so excited about everybody that can to join us in 21 days of prayer. Uh, We would like to spend 21 days hanging out with dad, all praying the same thing, and just seeing what happens, what God brings out of that. It'll start on February the 8th. Ian told you about it earlier. Today really is, in the next couple days, are the last days to sign up so that we can get you your packets by February the 8th, okay? So you're running out of time. If you haven't signed up, please sign up because today we want you to connect with God. Today was the secret to having the right words in prayer so that God isn't far off somewhere, but that He's close so He becomes dad so that you know Him well. Maybe today God isn't really that for you. He's not close. He's far off. And I want to encourage you with this, that that can change today. That can reverse itself. So he's not far off, but he's close. And the way to get him to be close in your life, the way to call him into your life and say, I need you to be dad. I need you to be father to me. The way is to pray first. Pray first. There's a verse over on our baptistry wall, and it comes from a section of the book of Acts where this guy Paul is on his way to murder Christians. And the Lord Jesus appears to him in a light, strikes him down on the road, strikes him blind. And Paul comes out of that experience understanding that Jesus is the Lord of all. And he says, you're the Lord of all. I I was killing the people who are following you, but I should not do that anymore. How do I make you Lord of my life? And Jesus says, I want you to go to a guy named Ananias. He lives on Straight Street. And so Paul went to Ananias. And that verse is what Ananias says to Paul. What are you waiting for? You want to make Jesus Lord of your life? Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away. Calling on his name. Calling on his name. Calling. What is that? Calling on his name. That's a prayer. Baptism is an enacted prayer where we say to God, I need you to be Lord of my life. Would you come into my life? Would you meet me in the waters of baptism so that you can do only what you can do? to forgive me, to wash my sins away, to give me the gift of the Holy Spirit so that I can always be with you. You can always be me. You can be close and you can be dad. And I just want to hang out with you. There's no greater prayer to pray today than that one. So maybe you're there. If so, would you come and let's pray that prayer together.